Hello, and welcome to the Night Sky for April 2019. This is Andrew Jacob, and I'm the curator at Sydney Observatory, part of Sydney's Museum of Applied Arts and Sciences. Come on a tour of the night sky with me. Learn what stars and constellations are visible, where to find the planets, and what special events are happening overhead this month. To make the most of this guide, you should begin by gathering a few items together. Firstly, you will need a star map. You can download a free one from Sydney Observatory's website, where you'll find it in the Astronomy Resources section under Monthly Sky Guides. The star map will show you what stars and constellations are visible in the night sky this month, and I'll be referring to that star map in this guide. As well as the star map, a torch with a red LED, or one covered with a few layers of red cellophane, will be very useful. The red light will allow your eyes to remain dark adapted during the evening, yet still allow you to read your star map. Finally, a pair of binoculars or a telescope can be very handy. They're not essential for following this guide, but if you do have them, they will help you see a few of the fainter objects more easily and in more detail. Now that we have our equipment together, we need to know a few directions and also how to measure angles across the sky. You can find the cardinal directions, north, south, east and west, from a compass app on your mobile device, or just remember, of course, that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. And if the sun is setting at your right shoulder, then you must be facing south. Another useful direction to remember is the zenith. This is the point directly overhead. Find your way around the night sky. It helps to know how to measure angles across it. It mo makes no sense to say, for instance, that one star is two centimetres to the left of another or that a shooting star left a trail half a metre long. Instead, we should use angular measurements. The distance around the horizon, from north through east, south, west and back to north, is 360 degrees. And from the horizon, vertically upwards to the zenith overhead, is 90 degrees. But how do we measure smaller angles? Well, despite the great variety of human form, our fingers, hands and arms are all pretty much in the same proportions. If you hold your hand out at arm's length and stretch out your little finger and thumb to make a hand span, they span an angle across the sky of about 20 degrees. A fist held out at arm's length makes an angle across the sky of about 10 degrees. And a finger held up at arm's length is about one degree or twice the width of the moon or the sun. I'll be using these measurements during this guide. So a handspan at arm's length is 20 degrees, a fist is about 10 degrees, and a single finger is about one degree across the sky. One final point to note before we get started. The Earth rotates, and so the sky changes hour by hour. My descriptions of the constellations and stars in this guide fit the time of one to two hours after sunset. This month, we return to the long nights of autumn following the end of daylight saving. The light nights are long, but not too cold for good observing. But get some warm clothes on and a beanie and grab a blanket to lie on. Just as we found in January, the best constellations are high overhead. Lie down with your feet facing southwest, just to the left of where the sun recently set. Look straight up towards the zenith. 
with your feet pointing southwest, most of the constellations above will appear upright rather than upside down, as they often do from the southern hemisphere. If you are in a dark location and there's no moon up, you will see the Milky Way, the edge-on view of our own galaxy, stretching from the southeastern horizon on your left, passing overhead through or close to the zenith, and reaching the northwestern horizon on your right. If you're near a city or large town and light pollution affects your view, the Milky Way won't be easily visible, but you will still be able to see a bright band of light and stars stretching across this part of the sky from the southeast to the northwest. On your star map, the Milky Way is indicated by the dot-dash line spanning the width of the map. You will need to align your star map with the real sky. Simply hold your map up in front of you and tilt it to the right so that the label SW, for southwest of course, is at the bottom and lined up with your feet. Your map is now aligned with the stars overhead and is ready to assist you with the next part of this guide. We begin with the pointer stars on your far left. On your star map, these are clearly labelled near the SE or southeast horizon. These two bright stars appear almost side by side. The brighter of the two pointers, the one on the left, is called Alpha Centauri, and it's the third brightest star in the night sky. The right-hand pointer is Beta Centauri, and it's the tenth brightest star. Later, we will search for all ten brightest stars in the night sky. Alpha Centauri is a fascinating star. Although it looks like a single star to your eye, it is in fact a group of three, with two of them too close together for your eye to separate, and the third too faint to detect. Through a medium-sized telescope, two of the stars are visible. Both are very similar in size and colour to our Sun. These two stars orbit about each other once every 80 years or so. The third star is called Proxima Centauri, and it's the closest star to the Earth after our Sun. Unfortunately, Proxima Centauri is a faint red dwarf star and is easily visible only with large telescopes. It orbits the first two stars. Proxima Centauri is about 4.2 light years away, or approximately 42 million million kilometres. Recently, a planet was detected in orbit around Proxima Centauri. This makes it the closest planet beyond the eight in our own solar system. It's a very tempting target to send the first interstellar spacecraft to, but that's for the distant future. A moment ago, I mentioned light years. What is a light year? Well, it's a measure of distance, even if it sounds like a time. If you have a torch with you, shine its light into the sky for a moment. The light from your torch travels incredibly fast. In just one second, it goes almost 300,000 kilometres. That's seven and a half times around the Earth, or almost the distance to the Moon. 
In fact, in just one and a quarter seconds, your torchlight would reach the moon, 380,000 kilometres away. In eight and a half minutes, the light would reach the sun, 150 million kilometres from Earth. After five hours, light from your torch would pass Pluto. And finally, after one year of time, your torchlight will have travelled one light year of distance. Yet, even here, we still haven't reached the next nearest star. Proxima Centauri, our closest star after the Sun, is about 42 million million kilometres away from us. Your torchlight would take about 4.2 years to reach it. So we can say that Proxima Centauri is about 4.2 light years away from Earth. This also means that we see Proxima Centauri, the star, as it was about 4.2 years ago. We were looking into the past to see everything in the universe. So a light year is simply a distance, and one light year is about 10 million million kilometres long. Now, let's get back to the night sky. We'll return to Alpha Centauri. If you draw an imaginary line from Alpha Centauri across to the right through Beta Centauri and onward, you'll reach the Southern Cross. I hope you recognise it, because it looks just like it does on the Australian flag. The Southern Cross is the best-known constellation in the southern skies. It's formally known as Crux, its Latin name, but we've also labelled it Southern Cross on your star map. The Southern Cross is very useful, as it can help us find the direction of true south. Hold up your arm and measure the length of the long arm of the cross using two fingers, your pointer and little finger perhaps. Measure from the top star to the bottom one. Now, measure this distance three and a half times downwards, starting from the bottom, the brightest star of the cross. This description works if you're lying down with your feet facing southwest. And it may also help to close one eye as you measure. So after measuring three and a half times this distance, the point you end up at is called the South Celestial Pole, the South Pole of the Sky. It's the point in the sky about which all the stars are rotating. But there are no bright stars in this particular area. It's just an imaginary point in the sky and it's labelled on your star map. Now, if you draw a line from the South Celestial Pole to the nearest point on the horizon, you've found the direction of true south on the ground. And from now on, you'll never need an app or a compass to find south, at least at night time. Returning to the cross, you'll notice if you're in a dark site and the moon has set, a dark patch below the cross, or to its lower left side if the cross was upright. This is called the coal sack. It's a dark cloud of hydrogen gas and mostly carbon dust blocking light 
from more distant stars. In fact, you'll notice many of these dark patches spread here and there along the Milky Way. They hold the raw material for making new stars. Here's something interesting you can do if you have a camera that allows you to leave the shutter open or an app that allows you to make star trail photographs. If you take a photograph of the sky facing south and include the south celestial pole and you leave your camera shutter open for 10 or more minutes, you'll find beautiful circular star trails in your photograph. This shows how the stars appear to rotate about the south celestial pole. It is, of course, the Earth which is actually rotating. Now let's move from the Southern Cross and turn our attention to the constellation of Orion the Hunter. He's over on your right towards the northwest horizon. So with the help of your star map, locate the three stars of Orion's belt. And Orion's belt is labelled on your map. From left to right, these are Alnitak, Alnilam and Mintaka. Turning your head to the right, you'll see just above these three belt stars, the star Betelgeuse. It's glowing orange-red, or sometimes a pale yellow colour. It's not that the star changes colour, more that your perception of the colour changes with the clarity of the atmosphere and your eye's adaptation to the dark. This enormous star represents Orion's shoulder. It's a red giant star coming to the end of its life. It's 425 light years away, and it's hundreds of times larger than our sun. And yet, to your eye, it looks just like any other star. The stars are so far away that we can't see the physical size of any of them, except for the one star that's close to us, our sun. Just below Orion's belt is the bright star Rigel, one of Orion's knees. From Betelgeuse to Rigel is just over a full hand span, or about 20 degrees across the sky. Rigel is also at a late stage in its life cycle, although not as late as Betelgeuse. Rigel is about a thousand light years away, and its surface temperature is about 11,000 degrees Celsius. It's about twice as hot as the surface of our sun. Now, if Betelgeuse and Rigel form Orion's right shoulder and his left knee respectively, and you can see the stars of his belt, you should now be able to imagine the figure of a man, perhaps with the help of your star map. His head and shoulders are to the right. His body narrows to the three belt stars at his waist, and his legs stretch out to the left. Between Orion's legs, hanging from his belt, is Orion's sword. To your eye, this appears as a pair, or maybe three to some of you, fuzzy stars. Through binoculars, you'll see three pairs of stars, plus many more fainter ones. 
and the middle pair is surrounded by a faint hazy cloud. This cloud or nebula, as astronomers call them, is the Orion Nebula. It's over 1500 light years away. It's also known to astronomers as M42. It's perhaps the most photographed object beyond our solar system and is a large cloud of mostly hydrogen gas which is producing new stars. The cloud is 15 light years in diameter and the stars you see embedded within it with your binoculars were formed from the collapsing hydrogen gas within the last million years or so. Now, Orion is a pivotal constellation. Its stars are guides pointing to many other interesting stars and constellations across the sky. If we extend the line of Orion's belt stars, one handspan, or 20 degrees, to the right, we come to an orange star amongst a V-shaped pattern of fainter stars. This is Taurus the Bull. The orange star is Aldebaran, the eye of the bull, and his head is the V-shape. In April, Taurus is close to setting in the west, and it may be difficult to identify. Returning to Orion's belt, we now follow the line of the belt to the left by about one hand span. We reach the brightest star in the sky, Sirius. Its name means scorching or brilliant, and you can see why. Sirius is also called the Dog Star because it's the brightest star in the constellation of Canis Major, the big dog in the sky. With help from your star map, you can identify the shape of the dog, the faithful hunting companion of Orion. Just above Sirius, a handspan plus four fingers width is the bright star Procyon in the constellation of Canis Minor, the little dog. Procyon has a companion star a couple of fingers width to the right to help you recognise it. However, this constellation as a whole looks nothing at all like a dog. In fact, few of the constellations clearly resemble their name. Returning again to Orion, we now use his sword to direct us to our next destination. You might notice that Orion's sword points directly left towards the south celestial pole across the sky and to the right, to the north. This is a very useful thing to remember when the Southern Cross is low in the sky or hidden by cloud. Following the direction of Orion's sword towards the south or the left, about three hand spans brings us underneath Canis Major and to a point above your feet where we reach another bright white star. If you have a good eye for colour, it would look pale golden in colour. This is Canopus. It's labelled on your star map. It's 205 light years away, and it's the second brightest star in the sky after Sirius. Canopus is one of the celestial navigation stars that have been used by ship's navigators for centuries. And appropriately, it's the brightest star in the constellation of Carina, the keel of the ship in the sky.
on your star map, you'll see the other parts of the ship. The sails, or vela, the rear, or poop deck, puppus, and the ship's compass, pixis. There's even a flying fish, volans, in this watery scene overhead. This ship, Carina, Vela, Puppus and Pixis, used to be one huge constellation called Argo Navis, the ship of the Argonauts. Now, the Argonauts, you may know, were mythological Greek heroes who accompanied the hero Jason on his quest to find the Golden Fleece. Now, this is not an easy ship to identify in the sky, so this is my observing challenge for April. Can you identify the whole of the ship? Keel, sails, rear deck, compass and all, in the sky. More easily identified is the false cross. This is an asterism, or star shape, not one of the true 88 formal constellations. It lies on the border of Carina and Vela taking in stars from both constellations. It's larger and fainter than the real Southern Cross, which lies further to the left. Below the False Cross and Carina, you'll notice, again, if you're in a dark site away from city lights and with no moon in the sky, two cloudy patches. These are the Large Magellanic Cloud, LMC on your map, and the small Magellanic Cloud, the SMC. These two clouds are companion galaxies to our own Milky Way galaxy. But our galaxy is bullying and harassing these smaller companions, tearing off shreds of hydrogen gas. Their future is uncertain. They may either be absorbed in a distant future by the Milky Way, or perhaps they'll just pass on by. The small Magellanic Cloud is the lower of the two, if you're still lying down with your feet to the southwest. Just to its right is another bright star. This is Achenar, meaning the river's end. It's the star at the end of the constellation Eridanus, the river in the sky. Let's review what we've seen tonight. We begin from the southeast on your left and we'll travel along the Milky Way. First are the two pointer stars and then the Southern Cross. Moving northwards to the right, we pass the False Cross between Vela, the sails, and Carina, the keel of the ship. Then comes Canopus, the bright navigation star, and below it, the Magellanic Clouds and Achenar. Next along to the right is Canis Major and the brightest star, Sirius, followed by Orion the Hunter with his belt and sword. And then comes Taurus the Bull. What a grand sight. It's an even grander sight with binoculars. If you sweep the Milky Way, passing all the objects I've mentioned tonight, you'll discover in between hazy gaseous nebulae where stars are born, sparkling clusters of young stars, and curious star patterns here and there. 
At first it seems overwhelming, but if taken in bite-sized chunks, month by month, there's a lifetime of observing to be done. But wait, there's more. Most of the brightest stars in the night sky are visible during April nights. Sirius, the dog star, is the brightest, followed by Canopus, the navigation star. Third brightest is Alpha Centauri, the brighter of the two pointer stars. Next are Arcturus, Vega and Capella, unfortunately none of which is visible on April evenings. But seventh is Rigel, Orion's knee. Next in line is Procyon in the little dog. Ninth is Achenar, at the end of the river Eridanus. And finally, back across the sky, is Betelgeuse, Orion's shoulder, the tenth brightest star in the night sky. So that's seven of the ten brightest stars, all visible at once on autumn evenings. We haven't yet tried to find Gemini the Twins, or Cancer the Crab, or Leo the Lion in the northern sky, but we've covered a lot already, so I shall leave it to you with your new star map reading skills to identify these three zodiac constellations in the April evening sky. Anyway, looking for them would require moving and abandoning the comfy position you're in, so why not stay a while, contemplate the universe, and wait for a meteor or two. Now, let's have a look at the special events and highlights for this month. What are the special events and highlights for April 2019? Let me note that all the times I'm about to mention are in Eastern Australian Daylight Saving Time or Eastern Australian Standard Time as appropriate. Daylight Saving, in states where it's recognised, comes to an end on Sunday, April the 7th at 3am Put your clocks back one hour. For all times I mention, please make the appropriate adjustments for your time zone and state, if necessary. Let's start with the moon phases. We begin April with a new moon on Friday the 5th at 7.50pm. First quarter moon is on Saturday the 13th at 5.06am, followed by a full moon on Friday the 19th at 9.12pm. And finally, we have a last quarter moon on Saturday the 27th at 8.18am. The moon is the brightest object in the night sky when it's up, no matter what phase it's in. It's well worth observing its changing phases or looking closely at the craters, planes and other features with binoculars or a telescope. But to get the best views of other astronomical objects such as the Milky Way and the constellations, it's best to avoid moonlit hours. If the moon is between new and full, that is, it's waxing, wait for it to set before observing the Milky Way and the stars. If the moon is between full and new, or waning, observe before it rises. You don't really need a daily list of rise and set times. 
Just watch the moon for a few days and you'll soon learn to predict its behaviour. What planets are visible in April 2019? The only evening planet this month is Mars, hanging around like the last party guest. It's barely worth a look, being low in the sky near the northwest horizon and appearing smaller even than Mercury through a telescope. All the action is happening in the morning sky. Mercury, Venus, Jupiter and Saturn are all morning planets in April. Jupiter is high up and shining brightly in the north and northwestern sky shortly before sunrise. If you catch it from a country location before twilight brightens the sky, you'll see it set against the Milky Way, superimposed amongst the bright star clouds and the dark dust lanes of our own galaxy. To the right of Jupiter, and just as high up, is Saturn in the constellation of Sagittarius. Venus and Mercury are low above the eastern horizon, with Venus, the morning star at present, as very bright and very white. Mercury is the next brightest object below it. During the month, these two planets gradually move closer together until on the 17th, when they are about four degrees apart, and thereafter they begin to drift apart again. As usual, the moon passes close to each of the planets and can help you identify them. On the 2nd, in the dawn sky, a thin crescent moon sits just above Venus. On the 3rd, it's just above and right of Mercury, and the moon passes Jupiter on the 24th of April. And around the middle of the night, on the 25th and the 26th of April, we have our major highlight for the month, a lunar occultation of Saturn. In this event, the moon passes in front of and covers, or occults, Saturn. There are in fact several such occultations occurring in 2019, but only a few are visible from Australia. The last Saturn occultation visible from Australia was in 2014, and the next will not be visible until 2024. This month's occultation is visible from areas of Australia eastwards of a line joining roughly Rockhampton to Adelaide. The moon will be low in the eastern sky, having just risen, and Saturn's disappearance and reappearance is best viewed with binoculars, set on a stand or resting on a solid surface, or with a small telescope. From Sydney, the disappearance is at 10.30pm on the 25th, and reappearance is at 11.25pm. For other locations and more details, see the Australasian Sky Guide for 2019, or look out for a Sydney Observatory blog post that I'll put up nearer to the date. If you miss this particular occultation, or can't stay awake after an Anzac dawn service, there's another one this year on August the 12th for Eastern Australia, and on September 8th-9th for Perth and Darwin regions. And that wraps up the special events for April 2019. 
An excellent companion to Sydney Observatory's monthly night sky guides is the annual Australasian Sky Guide by Dr Nick Lom. It's jam-packed with monthly night star maps and astronomical information, including rise and set times for the sun, moon and planets, plus tide times, and a detailed look at our solar system and upcoming astronomical events. It's available from Sydney Observatory or the Mars Store, or you can purchase it online, for which some additional costs apply. For more astronomical information, check Sydney Observatory's website and blogs, and keep in touch via our Facebook and Twitter accounts. And if you're in Sydney, visit the observatory in the Rocks area. Book in for a night tour to view the skies through our telescopes, or tour our exhibition for free and discover the history of Australian astronomy. And that brings to an end this night sky guide from Sydney Observatory and from me, Andrew Jacob. Thank you for listening, and I wish you clear skies until next time.